Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the Vorthos cast. This is Beyond the Multiverse. And uh, this week, we have a really cool one. We have uh, some, uh, if you're unfamiliar with Magic the Gathering, lately a release came out of Warhammer 40k decks. And so this week, we are discussing what the heck Warhammer 40k is. Uh, so I'm Chris Delano. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labrizzi. You really threw me off because we didn't say the names first. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is different from the Vorthos cast. We're not doing an episode of the Vorthos cast, so I do things differently. Uh, and with us today is the incredible Ethan Fleischer, who uh, will tell us all about himself. So, uh, Ethan, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Ethan Fleischer. I'm a senior game designer at uh, Wizards of the Coast. I designed Magic the Gathering sets, including I was the lead designer of the Warhammer 40,000 Commander decks that were just released recently. I have, I know we have a list of questions because we're talking about for, uh, Warhammer lore today. Is it, do people say 40,000 or 40K? Well, the uh, the like official trademark uh, is like 40,000, but uh, you know, in, in common speech, people just call it 40K, yeah. So if I walk into a game store, a bunch of people playing Warhammer, if I call it 40K or 40,000, no one's going to like beat me up? Yeah, no, no one's going to be concerned at all about okay, that. Okay, cool. I'm going to beat you up, but it's going to have nothing to do with <laughs> Warhammer. I can't believe I'm getting bullied on my own show. <laughs> so uh, we're not going to talk that much about the magic product because we're not really uh, interested. I mean, like we're interested, but that's not what we're here for. So beyond the multiverse, for those of you who's uh, who are listening to this for the very first time, is sort of special episodes that we do about lore and uh, IP from outside of Magic the Gathering. So for this episode, uh, Ethan is not a Wizards employee, as far as I am concerned. Ethan is just the biggest fan of Warhammer 40k that we know. So, uh, Ethan, what is your history with Warhammer? I was going to say, who cares about your job? Give us your Warhammer credentials. <laughs> Absolutely, my Warhammer creds. So, uh, I started playing Warhammer. Well, it's a, it's a little complicated. I first encountered Warhammer 40,000 actually in the form of cards, shockingly enough. There, were the, there was this game called uh, Citadel Combat Cards that had pictures of the different Warhammer miniatures with abilities and stats on them. This came out considerably before Magic the Gathering came out. It wasn't a trading card game. Uh, and so I, I first encountered these, these cool-looking Space Marines in this game when I was a, probably in middle school. And I got very excited about it, and I started designing my own cards for other things that I was interested in, Star Wars spaceships and, and Robotech Mecha. And uh, only later, when I got into high school, did I start collecting uh, Warhammer miniatures and playing the games. So uh, I played those games for a long time, got super into the lore. I was actually um, a moderator on like a Warhammer 40,000 themed message board. I, I wrote the complete timeline of the Ultramarines chapter, tracing all of the different wars that they fought in over the millennia. Uh, and so, uh, and did a lot of game design that was sort of based on Warhammer. Uh, new games using the miniatures inspired by some of the game mechanics that I saw trying to put my own twist on things and, and sort of um, customize it in a way that that made it more fun. It was closer to the the type of gameplay that I was looking for if uh, if there was some variance there. And uh, 
I continue to do that to this day. And I, I sort of attribute the fact that I'm a professional game designer to having gotten into Warhammer because uh, it just encourages you to like get your hands dirty and customize your experience uh, to such a great extent that uh, I really, really got into game design and then landed this job as a magic designer about 10 years ago. Uh, so then, of course, once we started doing Universes Beyond, when, when Warhammer came up, I was the logical choice. I was, you know, a huge fan of the of the IP and had had some experience even designing for the IP uh, as an amateur. And uh, so, converting these uh, concepts into magic cards was something that I was well qualified to do if I'm allowed to toot my own horn a little bit. Yeah, no, the, the, this this was the toot your own horn section. So, good job. Uh- <laughs> We're uh, we're not going to talk about the fact that you know multi, you know universes beyond and beyond the multiverse. I'm, I'm not going to say which one was public first, but uh, uh, which name might have come first. Anyways, uh, you mentioned like getting your hands dirty with Warhammer. So like I know we're going to talk about the lore. That's what I really care about. But I am curious, how do you play Warhammer? Like I know there's little minis and people paint them, and the extent I know is that people paint them. Right. That's about as far as I've ever seen them go. So how it works is you're going to need a, a rule book and there's sort of a basic rule book for the game that you're playing. There are several different Warhammer games. It's sort of an umbrella, sort of like there are a lot of different formats in Magic. There are a lot of different sub games of, of Warhammer and different styles of play. But uh, you're going to need a rule book. And then generally there's um, another rule book that has the specific rules for a specific faction. Uh, those are called a codex that has what's called an army list, which sort of allows you to spend points to buy different um, units and characters for your army. So you'll need those. You'll need a place to play and ideally some kind of terrain, though this can be as uh, as fancy or as simple as you want it to be. Like in the, in the old days, we would like, you know, throw a green tablecloth on top of some stacks of books and call those hills and call it good. And that was fun. Uh, these days I make very elaborate uh, dioramas for us to battle over, essentially. Uh, and then you'll need a collection of miniatures to represent your army. So how these work is mostly they're, they're plastic miniatures that you'll assemble just like a plastic model kit with you know model glue and exacto knives and little files and things. Put it together um, and then paint these. There's wide latitude with how you paint them. Like it's it's your opportunity to uh, to customize your army, paint it whatever color you want with whatever symbols you want on it. And uh, you know, lots of people also customize the shapes of the miniatures by like cutting off an arm from one guy and attaching it to a different guy, things like that. Uh, once you have enough uh, enough built and painted, then you're ready to play. You can now you know do the point by thing from the codex and uh, challenge an opponent to battle. So how it works is you'll you'll usually start out with all of your miniatures on the table and kind of set them up on opposite sides of the table, squaring off against the opponent. And you'll have several turns to move your miniatures and then attack with weapons. Uh, and to resolve those attacks, you roll handfuls of six-sided dice. I, I have absolutely seen people playing Warhammer at my friendly local game store. Uh, and it always looked super daunting, but your explanation makes it sound actually kind of approachable. So that's thank you. Yeah, like the 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 concept is simple. Um, some of the games are simple. Some of them are 
excessively complex in my opinion. But uh, yeah, in, in general, like the general concept is simple. And, and very often I find that you can strip away certain layers of rules and kind of strip it down a little bit to a more basic gameplay and still have fun. So the, the core game mechanic of like, I can move this guy so many inches and then roll dice to shoot with it is pretty solid, I think. Uh, yeah, so it's like tactical Yahtzee is what, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have described it that way myself, but you certainly could, and I, I think that's not inaccurate. Uh, as as a tactics game liker in general, uh, it's a it's a good vibe, and as a person who adores 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 the Forged in the Dark RPG system, uh, I like rolling dice pulls for damage. Um, so yeah, right. That- Ultimately, the hobby is about five percent playing the game uh-huh. and fifty percent. <laughs> assembling and painting miniatures and 45% arguing with people on the internet about the rules. So uh-huh. like uh-huh. It, you can you can engage with the hobby basically 24 hours a day if you're so inclined. So so this is this is basically uh the uh the the miniature game market version of Commander in in that aspect of the percentage breakdown of actually playing and versus building and constructing versus arguing. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Or or a cube even, right? Like oh my <laughs> gosh. Maybe, maybe maybe the cube is even more extreme. I think I spend about 1% of my time actually playing with my cube. So uh, we, we, you got into it basically through the lore and then to the game. So uh, what are like some of the defining features of the Warhammer universe in terms of like the lore uh, so that we can get like a good bedrock of understanding what this world is about? Warhammer's IP serves to support the game and the game serves to support the manufacture and sale of miniatures. That is sort of the... The the reason that everything ha- exists in the Warhammer universe, just like Magic's uh, world building, uh, is built to support the Magic game, and so you know that's why Wait, we have Magic things has a like game associated with it. I know, right? That's why we have like, oh my gosh, there's an equal number of blue kind of creatures as there are black kind of creatures in any given setting. And holy crap, there's a lot of giant flying monsters in every plane in the multiverse. What's that about? Um, Warhammer is, has its own sort of set of constraints and, um, reasons why, why things exist there. So, um, as a result, the sort of, the things that get, uh, a lot of coverage in the IP, uh, tend to be about soldiers and combat, you know, like mm-hmm. what, what's happening on the battlefield. Cause that's what the game represents is fighting in the battlefield. Of course, in the background, there's all kinds of other stuff going on that is alluded to and referenced uh but you know isn't as well developed so the the general concept of warhammer is that there's a material universe that is literally our universe in the case of of warhammer 40,000 it's it's the planet earth exists in it and all that stuff and takes place entirely within the milky way galaxy uh parallel to that universe is an alternate dimension called the warp The warp is the realm of dreams, souls, psychic powers, emotion, things like that. Mm -hmm. And everybody who has a soul, everyone's soul is sort of projected fourth dimensionally into the warp and exists within the warp and affects the warp. So 
originally, the warp was a very calm sort of place, a, a placid uh, sea with no waves in it, essentially. But as more and more sentient entities evolved in the galaxy and started thinking and feeling and interacting with each other, they caused perturbations in the warp and waves and affected things. Um, another word, another place, uh, another thing that the warp is very uh, known for is, is it's the realm of elemental chaos. I probably should have mentioned that. That's super important. Uh, so eventually these, <laughs> these perturbations and waves sort of coalesce into various entities that exist entirely within the warp. And when those entities get large enough, they become gods. They are literal gods living in the warp. And there are four of those that are the most important. Those are the gods of chaos. Um, so that's Korn, whose domain is bloodshed and, and martial vigor and, and violence and mm -hmm. murder. Um, Nurgle, whose domain is disease and death and rebirth. Sinch, who is, uh, whose domain is secrets and magic and fate. And Slanesh, who is about like sensation and ecstasy and pain and pleasure. These are the four big chaos gods, uh, and they, their goal is to basically turn the material universe back into the elemental chaos so that everything is chaos forever. And there are lots of people that worship them in the material universe, and if they are, uh, if the gods regard them, uh, kindly, they will bestow gifts on them, like, you have a tentacle arm now, or you've got fangs, or your head turned into a demon head. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's awesome. Here's a magic sword. Like these are cool things, right? We love that. Uh, and eventually, they can either you know a champion of chaos will either get so many of these mutations that they just become a non-functional person chaos spawn, just like oh god, I can't even walk anymore because too many of my limbs became tentacles or whatever. Uh, and, you know, my brain is the size of a walnut. I guess I'm not good for much anymore. Uh, or they achieve apotheosis and become a demon prince and can now live in the warp and are immortal. That's the big goal of everyone who worships chaos is to become a demon prince. But very few make it. Most of them either uh, mutate into chaos, spawn eventually, or, or just die in the attempt. Okay, so, like, where do the spaceships come in? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing about the warp is that uh, spaceships can fly into there. If they, if they have a special force field around them to keep the demons out, they can uh -huh. fly through the warp and, in that way, move faster than light. So the Imperium of Man, which is the, the main human faction of the setting, uses these spaceships to go through the warp and build out their empire, which is composed of a million different planets. So, so how, how, how does one get from the material world into the warp? Is it just a fancy portal tech? Or like like a like a hyperspace gate. There's a couple of different methods. the The way that the Imperium does it is with these these spaceships. They have just what's called a warp drive okay. and a Geller field, which is a, a the force field that keeps the demons out. Usually, so, so so very Star Wars hyperdriving for them. Yeah, totally Star Wars hyperdriving. However, um, the reason they can do that is because they have these navigators who are these mutants who can kind of see uh, see in the warp. And there is a, this beacon that called the Astronomicon, which is sort of a psychic lighthouse 
that's at Earth, and I believe the Emperor helps run it, even though he's mostly dead. We'll get to him in a minute. Um, but there's a, there's a beacon there. The navigators can see the beacon and navigate by it, but uh, not everyone has navigators. Only humans have navigators. So the uh, some of the other species in the galaxy have to use other means to go through. The most prominent probably is what's called the webway, which is this series of tunnels that go through the warp that people can walk or drive or fly along, depending how big the, the tunnel are, is. And there are gateways on various planets and floating in space that they can go into and come out of. Uh, and so that's that's the other major way that people travel through the warp. So, so is the warp like... How am I trying to draw? Is it like a facsimile of physical space where there's like land and air and water, or is it just like chaos and more magical and abstract? More the latter. Um, there are locations in the warp, like where the chaos gods live, but they tend to be very surrealistic and change all the time. Uh, so like you, you might encounter something that superficially resembles reality, but it might not be there for long and it's going to be weird. Like corn, for example, lives in a, a place that's just like mountains of skulls everywhere and rivers of blood flowing through and a bunch of demons running around and that's about it. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've... That would be pretty pricey in this uh, this market. So it sounds nice to me. Mountain of skulls in this economy? <laughs> hey, look, the, the, the metal band album cover art industry needs material and some people just fill that need. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely Warhammer is business. super, super heavy metal oh, uh, yeah. inspired. Like, no question about yeah, that. Yeah, no, I mean, th- this, this is all... It, Everything you've described so far, I'm just like, yeah, I remember that Iron Maiden album. Uh, so, yeah. Right. So, I mentioned uh, the Imperium. I think I should dig into that a little bit. Yeah. So, um, the Imperium is sort of the major human civilization, and it was built on the ruins of a previous galactic civilization that fell apart when warp travel became impossible 10,000 years before the... Uh, the sort of current setting of the game in the year 40,000, back in the year 30,000. Oh, uh, okay. Every, everything was, there were warp storms everywhere. Nobody could travel anywhere. So so that's what the 40K means. It's the year 40,000? Mm-hmm. Yep. Got it. Um, and so, but uh, it's it, all these warp storms were happening. Nobody could travel anymore. And it turned out that the reason this was happening was because a new chaos god was about to be born. And Aww. Once, Baby. once the new chaos go- chaos god, uh, which was Slanesh in this case, the youngest of the the four chaos gods, was born around the year thirty thousand. The 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 storms all calmed down. Like all that sort of energy went into creating this this new god, um, and all, all of a sudden travel became possible again. It was time to reconquer the galaxy, and so the greatest psyker who's, you know, the, a, a psychic user, a magic user, essentially, uh, of, you know, human history, uh, the person who came to be known as the Emperor, struck out from Earth with his army of space marines and reconquered the galaxy, knitting it together into an imperium of a million planets. Once that was accomplished, unfortunately, uh, half of his armies turned to chaos and uh, revolted, and a huge civil war broke out with half of the half of the space marines on one side and half of the space marines on the other. This was called the Horus Heresy because uh, the leader of the rebellion was was named Horus. 
This was a huge problem. It was a huge battle. Lots of people died. Uh, in the end, Horus was slain, uh, but the emperor was mortally wounded and was uh, put in an arcane life support system called the Golden Throne, where he has remained for the last 10,000 years, unable to speak. Everyone does things in the emperor's name, but the emperor doesn't say anything. Nobody knows what he's really thinking. And so he is essentially a corpse sitting in a throne and is the symbolic figurehead of the empire. Um, but as, as yeah, I've, seen, I've seen that card art, he does not look very, he's not healthy. looking good. He's not looking good. <laughs> I think so. I think a doctor needs to see to him. So in the intervening 10,000 years, the Imperium has sort of devolved into mysticism, religious fanaticism, totalitarianism, and is now a, a feudal state where every planet has a planetary governor who is responsible for raising armies and paying taxes, uh, but can sort of run things however they like as long as they remain loyal to the Imperium, as long as they... You know, make sure that, you know, witches aren't summoning demons on their planet and they provide soldiers for the army. Uh, they're pretty much left alone to run things as they see fit. Very uh, near the collapse of the Roman Empire type stuff, sounds like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the sort of implication is that, like, this whole society is, like, on life support, essentially. The emperor yeah. is the symbolic representation of this, this society that has, has ceased to make any progress and is just like mindlessly carrying on, you know, through bureaucratic inertia, essentially. Mm -hmm. So within that society, we, within the Imperium, there are sort of several different sub factions that are, uh, you know, important to the functioning of the the body politic. You have the Adeptus Mechanicus. These are machine worshippers who replace parts of their body with cybernetic limbs and such. Uh, they worship machines. They worship knowledge. They're not really good at actually innovating. They're more good at finding old stuff and worshiping it and preserving it and building it. But uh, very often coming up with new ideas is considered to be some sort of techno heresy. Like, you know, if if this idea was good enough, our forefathers would have come up with it. So, so the Urzas and Mishras of this game. Yeah. Um, you have the Space Marines that I mentioned. These are uh bioengineered super soldiers um boys are taken at early adolescence and trained and psychoindoctrinated and implanted with a variety of different organs that enhance their ability to fight so like they have an extra lung that lets them breathe poisonous air and they've got something that allows them to spit acid and an organ that can let them go into suspended animation if they get trapped somewhere um, they can actually eat the brains of their enemies to like find out stuff that they knew, stuff like that. Uh, and they're, they're huge and they're strong and they wear power armor and they're sort of the, the closest thing to good guys as exist in the Imperium. They, their mission is to defend humanity and they are sort of divorced politically from a lot of the sort of, uh, political infighting and stuff that uh, occurs in the Imperium because they're they're quite self-sufficient. They don't really need to rely on other uh, parts of the Imperium to fulfill their mission. So they get to kind of be above it all. So they're, they're I was going to say, so they kind of sound like uh, 
I guess we're going to use D&D analogs now. They're, they're kind of like the paladin class. Yeah, they're, they're very much sort of knights or monks as far as their, mm-hmm. um, their role in society, um, I would say. So this brings me to a question I had when looking at the uh, Magic the Gathering decks. What is the difference between like a human and an Astartes? Is that what the word is? Yeah, an, an Astartes uh, is, yeah. a, it, that's the, another name. It's like the fancy name for space marines. And so... Okay. They they began like they were you know born as humans, but they've been so modified that um, they're physically very different from humans, and also they are considered both more and less than humans, sort of by their society. They are more than humans because they are greater warriors than than any human could hope to be, uh, and they're sort of less than humans because they're divorced from society. They don't have families anymore. Um, and they're they're sort of outside of the 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 life of of human society, I guess. That's that's interesting. The way that that really looks at both aspects of the word superhuman, where they are both above and beyond humanity, but that above and beyondness also comes with a separation. Yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, and that sort of plays into the monastic aspect, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you become a Buddhist monk, you're not, you don't acknowledge your parents anymore. You're just like, I'm here. I'm a monk. I'm nobody's son anymore. I'm I'm one with the universe or whatever, right? So, like, th- this is all a lot of lore because I mean, how old is Warhammer now? It's it's uh, 35 years old this year. Oh well, happy birthday, Warhammer. <laughs> Uh, 35. That's more than some other games I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Any games in particular? Uh, you know, uh, Mortal Kombat turns 30 this year. Me. So it's, it's older than Mortal Kombat. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog? Pikmin. Pikmin has got to be, what, like 15 years old, right? Oh, uh, Pik- oh no, Pikmin <laughs> is 20 years old, yeah. Uh, 20? Pik- oh, God, I'm, I'm old yeah. now. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> No, I, I trust me. I just got a tattoo from Metroid Fusion, and the harrowing realization that I I got a twenty year old quote tattooed on me is that time is bad. Actually, is what I'm I'm starting to realize. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, so I'll wrap up the Imperium really quick since yeah. we we are we are like almost halfway through the episode already. Um, the the sort of last remaining major element, I would I guess two two last remaining major elements. One is. Um, the people of the Imperium, not the Space Marines so much, but everyone else, worships the Emperor as a god. And he certainly has some of the attributes of a god, so like, oh, there, there might be something to that. But uh, the uh, what we see is uh, one of the armies is the Sisters of Battle, the Adeptus Sororitas, who are a warrior sisterhood, uh, who wear, wear armor very similar to the Space Marines and are sort of driven by faith. These are the warriors of the church, the, the military arm of the church. Uh, everybody has a military arm in, in Warhammer. The, the judicial system has a military arm. The army has a military arm. The Navy has their own army, uh, <laughs> which is not the same thing as the Space Marines. But yes, yeah, so the church has an army and it's all uh, the Adeptus Sororitas who are, who are driven by faith and witness miracles all the time. And yeah, again, there might be something to it. Um, yeah, so that's kind of it for the Imperium. Like, oh, and the Inquisition. Right, that was the last thing. This is a much smaller group, but is plays very important role in the lore. So the Inquisition is a sort of separate branch of the government, co-equal with, with everything else other, under the Emperor, right? 
So there are, you know, the church is under the emperor, the space marines are under the emperor, the adeptus mechanicus, and the inquisition. Um, and they are empowered to investigate anybody uh, to find out if there are bad things going on. And bad things fall into three general categories. One is witchcraft. There's a big problem with psychic people in the Imperium. And the problem is that uncontrolled psychic people can become possessed by demons. And in this case, they're very literal demons who can come like crawling out of a hole in their head and start attacking people. So you don't want that happening. So you got to keep keep an eye on the psychers and make sure that uncontrollable psychers are you know put down or put to use. Uh, and then powerful psychers who can control their abilities should put those abilities to good use, often by becoming inquisitors themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are other there are lots of other uses for people with psychic powers in a variety of capacities. So that's one. Uh, the other is alien influence. We don't like aliens in the Imperium. We hate them all. If they're not human, they're bad. And so if aliens are corrupting people, uh, either with like exotic technology or you know, fiddling with their genes or giving them naughty ideas. We gotta, we gotta keep an eye on that. And then the last thing is chaos. If, if demons are here, that's a problem. If chaos worshipers are here, that's a problem. And so the Inquisition is always looking for big things like that. They don't care about petty theft or anything like that. They really care about big threats that could threaten an entire planetary population or a sector of the galaxy. And they have carte blanche to go anywhere they want to go get any information that they need and uh, often can uh, can get military people to help them in their mission of investigation. So they're the fashy cops of the Imperium. Yeah, they're sort of a, a combination detective, Jedi, and um, special prosecutor. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a lot for like the humans. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of other creatures and beings and and creepy crawly things out in this is it in one galaxy or is this one is it a universe it's all the, one, the, the, it's like, all takes place in the milky way galaxy so okay so it's all one galaxy so the the sort of the three major categories are the imperium chaos and aliens so let's let's touch on chaos a little more we we talked about it briefly uh there's mm-hmm. the four the four chaos gods that we mentioned um some people just follow chaos in general and um, the the major players there are the Chaos Space Marines, who uh, are either the original uh, Space Marines that fell to Chaos 10,000 years ago in the Horus Heresy. Uh, so these ones were driven into this place called the Eye of Terror, which is this huge warp storm uh, by, at the end of the Horus Heresy. And time doesn't flow the same way there as it does in the material universe. And so a lot of those original Chaos Legionnaires that betrayed the Emperor are still there. And boy, are they bitter and angry. And every once in a while, they'll launch a big crusade out of the Eye of Terror and attack everyone. Um, What is the Eye of Terror? It's this huge warp storm that's you know, takes up. 10% 10% of the galaxy or something. It's this big whirling mass of chaotic energy where where the realm of chaos is bleeding through, the warp is bleeding through into the material universe. Well, that sounds so it's fun. sort of a combination of, of chaos and reality where all sorts of unpredictable stuff happens and planets are, are weird and maybe they're flat and we have waterfalls coming off them or anything. There's all sorts of crazy planets in there that uh, defy defy normal uh, physics 
And there may be other chaos space marines that were space marines that uh, fell to chaos more recently, um, but they're also in there. Um, and of course, there's all the demons, lots of different kinds of demons, big demons with wings, little demons that are like soldiers, demon creatures. Um, so lots of demons. Normally, they can't live in uh, in the material world for very long. They're unstable and, and go back to uh, go back to the warp once they've been dispatched or something. But uh, in places where chaos is bleeding through, uh, they can be much more powerful. And the uh, followers of chaos try to engineer those circumstances whenever they can so they can get a legion of demons to help them out. And then just anyone else can fall to chaos. A psyker can be tempted by demons whispering through the warp to him. Uh, or even just regular soldiers can uh, can fall to chaos worship for one reason or another. Do we do we ever see non-humans who become chaos worshippers? Like any of the big bug thingies or like the, the orcs, I think they're called? In general, the most successful aliens, which tend to be the ones that we see the most of, are resistant to chaos in some way. Um, I suspect that's just because they didn't want to make a bunch of miniatures of chaos orcs or whatever. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, like in theory, yes, uh, aliens could fall to chaos, and in fact, that is what happened to the Eldari. Why don't we Why don't we tackle the Eldari first? The Eldari are basically space elves. They're one of our alien factions, and the birth of Slanesh was essentially their fault. They had this incredibly hedonistic society where they just there were no limits and they were doing all sorts of corrupt uh, things to, to stir their senses and, and, you know, get rid of their ennui or whatever. And it was just like something out of a, a Clive Barker novel or something, uh, but on a galactic scale. So they, they had this huge galactic empire, but uh, when Slanesh was, was formed, when Slanesh awoke, uh, Slanesh ate the souls of most of the Eldar and tore the heart out of their empire, which is right where the, the Eye of Terror is now. So the, the Eye of Terror was formed at that point. Uh, so most of the Eldar were destroyed and their souls were eaten by Slanesh. Uh, a few escaped. So there were some that escaped on giant city-sized spaceships called Craft Worlds. Uh, these, are, these Eldari are called uh, the Asuriani. And they follow a very strict and regimented society where it's, it's sort of a it's it's sort of a, a regimented version of Taoism, I would say, where they choose a path uh, the, and then rigorously follow that path. So I'm I'm following the path of the baker. All I care about is baking. I'm thinking about baking, and I don't think about anything else because. I don't want to attract Slanesh's notice. Uh, so thinking about fun stuff, we're not doing it. We're just thinking about baking here. So like um, very, very, <laughs> very eat your cornflakes to dot masturbate type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the exciting ones are the ones that are following the path of the warrior, because then we get all sorts of cool elves with cool armor and cool weapons. And uh, so there are a lot of different subspecialties of that. Mm -hmm. And so an, an Eldari can... Uh, can change paths, and they, they change paths several times during their lifetime. Uh, so it's not like they're just eating cornflakes for their entire life. They, they do switch to Wheaties at some point, but then they're just eating Wheaties for a <laughs> long time. And they have these things called uh, spirit stones that are a special gem that when they die, their soul will go into the spirit gem instead of going into the warp, which is where souls normally end up. 
the problem for the Eldari is when when their soul goes to the warp, Slanesh eats it. They don't want that, mm-hmm. so they they keep them in these these spirit stones, and the spirit stones are sort of attached to the inside of the craft world spaceship uh, to be in the infinity circuit, which is this sort of computer network kind of thing where all the souls can hang out and and relax and have a nice time. Uh, but occasionally, uh, in times of war, the Eldari are forced to take the, the spirit stones out and implant them into robots so the robots can fight. And they hate doing this because it's kind of like turning their relatives, their like ancestors, into zombies and making them fight. It's like, oh, God, this is terrible. But uh, if we don't do it, we're all going <laughs> to die. So I guess we have to do it. Ah, uh, so... so- so we're getting the robot grandma territory. <laughs> I was just going to say, imagine like, you know, turning like a dead civilization into a power source for something. That would be like really bad. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if anyone's ever done that before. There are a couple of other uh, major Eldari factions. One is the Drukari. These folks live in uh, this uh, city called Komara within the webway. So it's sort of in the warp, but in the webway. So it's insulated from, from everything. Um, I admit I'm not a huge expert on them, but I know they go around capturing people and torturing them hideously. And somehow this keeps them safe. I don't know how that works. Uh, and then there's the Harlequins who are these traveling players who go around putting on plays and sort of educating everyone about Slanesh. So they put on all these allegorical plays about like, stuff Slanesh did that was really bad and uh they they wear motley and they have these uh these like hologram projectors that make them very confusing to look at when they're in battle and they dance around a lot um so they're a lot of fun so that's the Eldari um connected to the Eldari are the Necrons the Necrons are very ancient they uh evolved billions of years ago and hey, they, that's a long time. Yeah. They uh, were very unhappy kind of people. They, they lived in a very inhospitable place and life was nasty, brutish, and short. And they really grew to resent uh, their galactic neighbors, some, uh, some aliens called the Old Ones. The Old Ones were mortal and technologically advanced and just cooler than everyone else. And the Necrons were so mad. Um, so the Necrons struck a bargain with these gods called the Catan. Now, the Catan are different from the Chaos gods in that they live here in the material universe. Uh, there's sort of there's material gods and there's gods that live in the warp, and they have some similarities but uh, some differences. So that's kind of interesting. So they, they made a deal with the Catan uh, to get power and immortality in, in exchange for killing the old ones. Let's all let's team up, kill the old ones. You guys will make us immortal. It's going to be awesome. All right, so the Catan uh, did set this thing up called the Biotransference. Oh, 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 yeah, hold on. I'm so I'm sitting here like, hmm, I know these <laughs> kinds of stories, and and it sounds like hmm. someone's about to be manipulated here. <laughs> there is a betrayal incoming very soon. It's true. They the the. the 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 negotiator from the Catan that they uh, that they talked with uh, his his nickname was the Deceiver though presumably the Necrons didn't know that at the time. But, yeah, uh, I was gonna a, say, did they know? Dead giveaway. Is that like on his business card when they met? Let's <laughs> ambassador Deceiver to you. <laughs> is there is there any chance he was like a little worm maybe like a little little worm thing? Uh, no, not in this case. This is a this is a reference to Destiny. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. You, you lost me then. <laughs> okay, uh, so. No, Chris. that was for Lorelai. The worm gods are very big, very big, Chris. They're not little. I guess the 
babies are little. The little ones, yeah, they're little worms. All right, one of the one of these days we're gonna do a <laughs> Destiny one of these episodes, and it's gonna be wild. But Ethan, continue. So the Necrons got exactly what they wanted. They their their consciousnesses were transferred into imperishable metal bodies that could regenerate from almost any harm, and they were given incredibly powerful weapons. Uh, but the, the downside was they discovered something very interesting, which was the soul exists and they had just given up all of theirs. The Catan ate their souls and the Necrons realized that they were missing something very important. Oh, no. What did uh, they do but, about it? Well, they uh, they bided their time is what they did because they still had the old ones to deal with. So the Catan and the Necrons teamed up, uh, battled against the, the old ones and the Eldari who, who were fighting for the old ones at that time, um, killed all the old ones. And then uh, at that point, the Necrons decided that now it was time to take their revenge on their gods. So they tore their gods up into little pieces and called shards and now use the, they either enslave them in battle or just use them as giant batteries or fusion generators for their technology. So Good for they, them. Yeah, they they t- they got their revenge, but uh, yeah, they still don't have their souls, unfortunately. Not good for uh, them. <laughs> all of this fighting, however, really wore them out. They didn't have a lot of uh, gas left in the tank, and so they decided to go to sleep for sixty million years and kind of let the younger races run things for a while, and then uh, wake up later and uh, once they'd rested a bit and take things over again. So quite recently, in uh, you know galactic history terms. The Necrons have started waking up on all these planets. And uh, in the intervening 60 million years, various species have evolved or moved to or or colonized all these planets. And so, like, all these, you know, robot skeletons have started coming up out of the ground on planets. And like, hey, we live here now. No, you don't. Uh, the, The Necrons regard all other species as lesser than them. And, you know, tell them, you know, clear off or we'll kill you all. And most people don't want to clear off the planet they live on, so usually there's a lot of fighting. That's fun. I'm sure that's that's just good. That's just good political negotiations right there. Um, in keeping with Warhammer's origin as sort of a, a variation of the fantasy genre, there are not only elves here, uh, but also orcs. There are. Yeah, I was, was going to say this. This this all sounds very more fantasy than I thought it was at first. Yeah, the the game definitely evolved. The the, the Warhammer Forty Thousand game evolved from the Warhammer Fantasy Battle game, which itself was designed as a way to sell people more uh, Dungeons and Dragons miniatures and historical miniatures, and so. Uh, all of the all the major fantasy races have their analogs in Warhammer Forty Thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them are human subspecies, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, like the the ogres and the dwarves and the halflings. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting one. Whatever. Um, yeah, they all they all have analogs that are that are subspecies of human, but uh, el- elves are a sort of separate alien species, mm-hmm. and uh, orcs are a separate alien species, mm-hmm. and I guess skeletons are the necrons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so orcs are sort of the the comedy relief faction, I would say, if they're Good. said to be one here. Uh, they're they're or- orcs are to Warhammer as goblins are to magic. Absolutely. 
the orcs are said to be the first alien species that humans encountered out of the out in the galaxy and uh the the two looked at each other and didn't much like what they saw and it's just been warfare ever since uh orcs are uh probably some kind of bioengineered warrior species that uh were created by an ancient now extinct species um so they have all sorts of uh, stuff programmed into them that might be handy uh, at the genetic level. Like certain mm-hmm. orcs just genetically know how to how to build machines, complicated machines, the internal combustion engines and ray guns and all kinds of stuff without having mm-hmm. ever been taught it, things like that. Uh, the orcs are very violent and almost insensible to pain. So they're orcs is what you're saying. They love they love loud noises and explosions and driving uh-huh. really fast and fighting. And they're uh-huh. perfectly at peace with their place in the universe. They don't have any sort of existential dread about anything. That's just not in their nature. They they know what they like and they like what they do. And what they do is get into fights. Uh, and they're they're always happy to fight each other. But every once in a while, uh, a particularly powerful orc warlord will attract enough orcs around him that uh, they form what's called a wog which is a huge migration slash invasion that spreads out and goes out into the galaxy, just conquering every planet in its path until eventually uh, it's, it's exhausted and the, the orcs in it uh, you know, devolve into fighting each other again. But this could go on for centuries before it happens and cause a lot of damage. So the orcs would be... Totally unstoppable if they could ever just like all get moving in the same direction, but they're just they're so fractious <laughs> that that never mm-hmm. happens in practice. They sound like a fun group. It sounds like the they sound like the they, party. They are people. literally fun guys because they are um, they grow from spores. They're fungus people. That I did not know, and I am in love with that concept. Yeah. So like <laughs> that is, that's once, incredible. Once orcs get on a planet, it's really hard to get rid of them because like. Off in some woods somewhere, there'll just be more orcs growing and they'll eventually start, you know, making loud hot rods and driving into your town and shooting <laughs> it up or whatever. So, uh, yeah, just That's incredible. God, n- now, I, now I just want the, the version of Fallen Empires where the Thalids are driving hot rods around and the Havenwood <laughs> Elves are like, ah, oh, I thought these guys were just supposed to be food. Now they're like drag racing in our, in our quiet little neighborhoods. And- yeah. All right. So two more. We'll, we'll go, we'll go through these ones quickly. Um, the Tyranids, these are recent invaders of the galaxy. They came from a different galaxy and <sighs> they, ca- they came in these giant biological spaceships. They're all of their technology is biological in nature. All their guns yeah, are like cool organisms that spit little bugs at things that burrow into them, and their, their spaceships are giant nautilus critters, and uh, and there are and there's lots of different kinds of tyrannids. And they, whenever they encounter a new threat, they evolve new creatures to meet it, and they harvest DNA from things and use that DNA to uh, you know, to make new organisms. Uh, so there's lots of them. Sounds like a really good way to continuously make and sell new kinds of miniatures to people. It's true. <laughs> it's true. 
So uh, basically, they're <laughs> all connected together in a psychic hive mind. So they have a, a gestalt consciousness and they kind of resemble dinosaurs crossed with insects. The, the the vibe I got was that they're they're basically Warhammer slivers. Yeah, except they don't they don't change instantaneously the yeah, way yeah. slivers do. Like, but, but um, they 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 as a swarm is kind of this uh, rapidly evolving hive mind. Yes, yes. In that in that regard, they're very similar to slivers. Uh, and basically, they go around and they invade a planet and kill anyone who's defending the planet. And harvest all the biomass from the planet, harvest all the air from the planet, harvest all the water from the planet, anything else that could be useful, and leave it a barren rock and the high fleet moves on. So they're sort of this intergalactic swarm of locusts that just eats everything in their path. So they're like if the Slivers and the Eldrazi kind of combined. They're like the Slivdrazi. Yeah, except I feel like the Eldrazi maybe have some purpose implied that they're like clearing the way so that new stuff can happen. The, the Tyranids are not, they don't have any useful purpose other than making more Tyranids. Uh, I think that's useful. I think that's an admirable goal. The Tyranids have this, uh, this fun little uh, side gig going on where they send gene stealers out ahead to infiltrate human society and implant their genes in people. And so the, the people's children will be half gene stealer, half human, and they'll like lurk in, in dark places and have children of their own who are, you know, three quarters human and one quarter gene stealer. Uh, and this sort of corrupt the society this way. And uh, they worship the Tyranids. They knew that the, the star gods are coming. We need to prepare the way. And they they uh, you know, they foment revolution against the Imperium and stir up trouble. And they've got propagandists and and you know, they have all sorts of like the the fun revolutionary stuff going on where you know they're out in the streets and they're spray painting stuff and it's a lot of fun. Uh, and eventually, the, the their psychic powers call the Tyranids to the planet. Like the planet's ready. We've We've thrown everyone into confusion. You can come here and they come and then they all get eaten. It's a thankless job, but somebody's got to do it, I guess. You know, you got to <laughs> die sometime. Why not put your biomass <laughs> to good use? That's what I'm saying. I want to be eaten by a tiger, personally. <laughs> all right. The last one uh, we're going to just touch on very briefly because they're not on any magic cards. So I'm not really that interested. <laughs> in them. But uh, the Tau are the, the sort of youngest of the major races. They're a, a vigorous technologically advanced uh, optimistic group. They're very much in contrast to the moribund Imperium. Uh, these are blue-skinned aliens, a lot of like, like Vidalkin maybe. Um, and they they have this, uh, they have a caste society where there are four different castes, five different castes, excuse me, based on like the four elements and then some ethereal caste that's like the leadership caste. Uh, and they also incorporate other aliens into their empire. They're, they're, they welcome all. Anyone who wants to, to work toward the greater good is welcome. <laughs> so I, I have to interrupt you because my brain is just thinking to the fifth element now and, and them like lighting, they, like the Bruce Willis at the end, putting all the stones with, oh, wind, water, fire, earth. And then instead of, instead of uh, kissing Lilu in the middle and the fifth element being love, it's like, ah, oh, yes, the fifth element is middle management. Yes. <laughs> the fifth element is, is close to love in this case. It's, it's some kind of pheromones, I think, that they use to mind control everyone. But, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they have, they have various aliens uh, working with them. Um, the, the crew work for them. These are some, 
some cannibalistic aliens that are really good at woodcraft. They got the Vespids who are like flying insect aliens. Uh, quite a lot of humans uh, work for the work for the Tau also. Uh, and they they're one of these things that like started out as a very potentially small threat if the Imperium hadn't been so distracted by all the orcs and Necrons and Chaos warriors right. and everything. They probably would have killed them, uh, you know, a few thousand years ago, but. You know, it got lost in the bureaucratic shuffle, and now that the Tau have grown to the point where they're a major threat, they control a bunch of planets, and their technology just keeps getting better all the time because they actually know mm-hmm. how to do the science. The magic of cooperation. All right, so I think th- I think that answers the the second question that uh, that you asked. <laughs> yeah. So we've got like a little bit of time left. You've just told us so much information about the world of Warhammer. Uh, how does like someone get into the lore? Like, are there, you mentioned like the codexes and the rule books, but those are sound like game pieces more to me. Is there like, are there books? Is there like online web fiction? Are there comic books? Are there like a TV show or video games or something like that? Stage plays. Absolutely. There's all that stuff. Um, I would say the, the players, uh, listeners who are familiar with magic's lore will find that Warhammer's lore is much more extensive and far-reaching than magic's lore. There's just a lot more of it out there. Um, reading those game manuals is kind of fun. If you like reading Dungeons and Dragons game manuals, you would probably enjoy reading Warhammer game manuals. Uh, but for people with a more of a literary bent, I can recommend some novels that are a lot of fun. Yeah, hit us with some titles. The usual uh, best uh, starting point that I recommend is a uh, book called Xenos by Dan Abnett. So this is a... Dan Abnett is a um, comic book and novel writer, um, kind of specializes in military science fiction, I guess. But um, Xenos is about this Inquisitor named Inquisitor Eisenhorn, who starts out as a, a, a Puritan. He, he always follows the rules. He never cuts corners. And uh, as he encounters various inc- desperately horrible situations where he needs to save an entire planet, he finds that he has to compromise his principles a little bit here and a little bit there. And so uh, it's, it's part of a trilogy. And by, by the end of the trilogy, spoiler warning, he's fallen almost completely into corruption. He is regularly summoning demons to deal with problems and has been declared a heretic by his peers in the Inquisition. And it really provides a a fun street-level view of the Warhammer 40,000 universe. And so it, it, it kind of focuses on like, okay, space marines make for cool miniatures, maybe not the greatest things for, uh, characters in a novel what what's right. what's the 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 sort of dirty street level story that takes place in this universe mm-hmm. uh, so i really recommend xenos for that if you like things a little weirder and i do uh some of the really early warhammer novels are very bizarre and and more literary i guess i would say uh so i would recommend if if you can track these down some of these are are a little hard to find and maybe out of print but uh there's some novels by Ian Watson, who's a sort of literary sci-fi author. Uh, the the ones that I really uh, recommend starting with are either Space Marine, which is this positively weird and scatological story about these three uh, gang members who get recruited to become Space Marines. And so they go through all of the indoctrination and training and go out there and, and fight the bad guys. Uh, it, it's totally bananas. Uh, or 
Another one is um, Inquisitor, which has been published under a couple of other titles. Uh, one was it was published under the title Draco, D-R-A-C-O, uh, or in an omnibus edition of the Inquisition War trilogy. So this one is also about an Inquisitor, just like Xenos, but uh, he's a much more authentically medieval character, I would say, than, uh, than Inquisitor Eisenhorn. Eisenhorn feels very much like somebody you could reasonably expect to meet in the 21st century. He's sort of uh, a POV character that makes sense, but uh, Inquisitor Draco is is much more like this guy feels like a medieval cleric or something wandering mm-hmm. through a weird world. And uh, mm-hmm. it's definitely, I'm sure it's not canon or anything anymore, but uh, to my mind, it's it sort of, uh, captures a lot of the the really vigorous creativity that was going on in the the early stages of the world building for this uh, mm-hmm. for this setting where like the the ideas hadn't been fully formed and they were right. making it up as they went along and some of it uh-huh. was just too damn weird and they abandoned but it's in this book so that's a that's another fun one the last oh, thing I say, would recommend. See- Hold on, because this is why we're friends, because that description you just gave is like exactly why I love like a lot of the old Armada comics and some of the Harper Prism stuff right. in early magic, because it's the same kind of vibes where it's like, hey, it's just kind of the authors doing stuff. Yeah, and like some of it worked and became sort of an established part of the setting and some of it right. didn't really work and just kind of got left by the wayside, but just because right. it, it didn't work for like world building a giant ip shared universe thing doesn't doesn't mean it doesn't doesn't work doesn't work on a on a literary level right right Um, so that's super fun also i recommend engaging with this ip through its primary expression like buy some miniatures paint them up see how it feels are they cool find ones that look cool paint them up and maybe even play a game with them like this this is a lot of fun for uh, a variety of different players there's like a competitive scene, but the way I've enjoyed playing actually is much more akin to like a role-playing game where we'll set up a scenario, maybe even have a game master and uh, Mm -hmm. play out stories on the battlefield where instead of controlling one character, maybe you control a dozen characters, but uh, Mm -hmm. it can really have a very narrative uh, gameplay feel to it. So engaging with the primary expression of the IP is uh it can be very satisfying so as a as a magic fan who has just purchased the necron deck uh which by the way played uh played a little commander game with some of the other hosts of the, the vorthos cast the other day is that one of those uh deck master games yeah yeah it's one of those deck master <laughs> games um, <laughs> but I, I i played a, a commander game with uh me and brian and carrie who were all in my house at one time which was a weird thing to happen uh in the age of you know the internet and uh, we played, and I would like you to know that uh, Jared Carthalian and Dihada uh, were fighting each other to the death, and then a bunch of Necrons swooped in and killed us. Um, love the Necrons. Would you suggest that like I go find a Necron Codex and buy some Necron miniatures, and like could that be the on ramp to the game, or is there like is that too advanced, or is that just like a perfectly reasonable way to start playing Warhammer? So. I would actually recommend one of those sub-variants of Warhammer 40,000, which is a game mm-hmm. called Kill Team, which um, it does not involve as many miniatures. You have a much smaller team. Um, so if you buy the Kill Team rulebook, 
and a uh, one of the there should be a book that has rules for how to play Necrons uh, in Kill Team. You you should be able to build a, an army out of just like one box of miniatures, essentially maybe two. So uh, cool. that would be a much cheaper way to do it, and in my opinion, actually a lot more fun. I really like those small uh, skirmish games, as we call it in, in wargaming. Uh, and Necrons are a great one to start with because they're actually really easy to paint compared to a lot of the other factions. It's just like, <laughs> paint it silver, maybe paint the eyes a different color, go. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can get away <laughs> with a very simple paint job with uh, Necrons if you're not an experienced miniature painter. Cool. I was just thinking for like the average Magic player who wants to get started with Warhammer, uh, that sounds like a really easy way to on-ramp yeah, kill, into it. Kill Team is great because it's small and be, the, the rules are much more modern. Like the the main Warhammer 40,000 game has rules that are based on rules from the 1980s. And so there's kind of a lot of a lot of baggage that's like legacy stuff that, you know, you know like just like you've played Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like there's some some stuff in Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons that like if we were designing it from the from the get go from ground up, maybe it wouldn't be in there. But it's there because people expect it. right? Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons, part of Wizards of the Coast, owned by that's Hasbro. Right. Uh, Warhammer, not owned by Hasbro. Uh, but good news. Yahtzee is in Hasbro uh, product. So you can play tactical attack Yahtzee. <laughs> All right. I think uh, I think we've covered uh, basically everything anyone would need to know as an intro to Warhammer. Uh, absolutely enlightening. Just awesome, awesome time as usual. So uh, thank you so much, Ethan. Is there anything you want to plug before we end the episode? I like to give people uh, a chance if they have something coming out or they want people to know about uh, or even if it's something like Warhammer that's coming out soon that you're super excited about. Uh, is there anything you want to plug for the future? I, I want to plug these Warhammer 40,000 commander decks that uh, that I designed. I think <laughs> that uh, I'm very happy with how they turned out. And it sounds like they're really good at killing Jared Carthalian. Someone needed to do that. <laughs> Jared Carthalian went first. Gaia Dihada went second. We were one after another, just taken down. All right. Well, that cr- funny enough, by a cranial plating, actually. Yeah, that'll, so. <laughs> a lot of people have died to cranial plating over the years. <laughs> No, I'm just sitting here thinking about so when I started playing Magic, Mirrodin was the next block that came out, and uh, it was weird being a kitchen table player getting into the game and like, hey, I have a cranial plating, guess you're dead now, and uh, it's weird that a lot of the people that I played Magic with in, in that era stopped playing the game. <laughs> and yet cranial plating, still killing people. <laughs> there were a lot of people who quit playing Magic in that era. Your, your friends <laughs> yeah. were not alone. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Ethan. It's always a pleasure. Uh, This was enlightening and and fun. Uh, We'll have to uh, have you on the next time any uh, Warhammer product comes out of Wizards of the Coast. It'll be really cool to see. I think there's like secret layers coming out, too. We've got some secret layers coming. Right, right. Uh, But uh, I guess thank thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been Beyond the Multiverse, Warhammer 40K. Uh, not the Vorthos cast regular episode, but we're doing something special. So thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thank you for coming on. Uh, if you want to support us, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Vorthos cast. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the Vorthos cast. Join our discord by joining our Patreon. 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't usually do outros, so uh, yeah, I'm well, just going to wrap say, this up. Usually this is my part, although maybe we should maybe actually plug the Twitter. Lorelei is right there. <laughs> Lorelei is here, but this is, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be, trying to be the big boy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> and that's how, you know, that's how we're ending the episode. Thank you all for listening. This has been uh, Beyond the Multiverse. <laughs>